Van is uh, obviously a great coach. You gotta do it with supreme focus, right? With razor sharp focus. Breathe what he's breathing. But he's a better, a better person. Biggest thing you gave me was time. You didn't really know me. We were from the same neighborhood and area, but I was with a group of guys that wanted to go to college, wanted to play ball. And you actually gave us that reality that, hey, this could actually happen because we saw somebody that was like us and that we wanted to become. Recruiting is about relationships. It's built on trust. It's built on doing the right things. And it's built on your head coaches and your athletic director, their vision. And I think we have two great leaders, both of those positions. So it makes it easy for me to go out and, and do what I do. Be aggressive. Let's win. Here we go. We're so excited to have one of the top leaders in athletics join us on the podcast. Corey Close, we thank you for coming on. I don't know who you're talking about. Who else is joining us? A top leader in the country. I, oh, I don't no. know. Oh, no. Oh, no, ma'am. <laughs> well, you. I, I appreciate you having that vote of confidence uh, in me, but uh, I believe that leadership is just going on a journey and asking other people to go with you. And so we're just going on the journey together today. And I'm glad, I'm glad to be with you. All right. So, so we, we've had discussions with, with leaders across the country. We've, we've had the, the chance to grow with conference commissioners, with ADs, with head coaches. And uh, again, I'm excited because guess what? I've checked your social media. Right? <laughs> okay. And honestly, I'm serious. I couldn't be more inspired I mm. listen to some of your messages. Mm, and thank I, you. You know, of course, you know, I'm a football coach, but my second love was basketball. And, and when I first jumped into this coaching thing, I had the opportunity to coach girls basketball in high school. Oh, wow. and, and when I did that, I learned first, I don't have a daughter. I have three sons. And wow. I learned that when you coach girls, uh, no means yes. Yes means no. Don't. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? I had to learn all that conversation. And honestly, after that, I was able to deal with my wife a little bit better. Mm -hmm. but, but it was a truly amazing experience uh you know when i when i think about your career corey i don't know where to start in in laying it out you know you've been a head coach so i'll start right there you've been the head coach at ucla since around 2011 mm -hmm. and, and you coached in an amazing i'll say it again in an amazing 15 ncaa tournaments you've won over 10 conference championships You've coached, a, you've coached dozens of athletes who've gone on and uh, had professional careers. Um, and I've done my research. I say it again. I can't forget that you were also a stellar athlete on the court as well, right? <laughs> I don't remember those times anymore. Yeah, one, well, of my, one of my right. other coaches was playing in practice today, and I was so thankful for him because I, uh, I couldn't do that anymore. So that seems like a very long time ago. So. Right. Yeah, well... I talk to my players all the time and I say to them, I say, you know what, man, I have one more play left, right? I'm going to waste it on you. <laughs> That's true. I, I, I tend to say, uh, let's play a one-on-one, -on -one. Uh, make it, take it. I get the ball first. We're going to one. So, right. <laughs> you know, right. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. <clears throat> Good. I think with age comes wisdom. Mm -hmm. 
So there are, there are so many fascinating experiences that make you who you are as a coach and as a leader. And we don't have enough time tonight to peel back all those layers. But I do want to explore a few things that, that could enlighten other leaders. I read a ton of leadership books, always looking for different ways to solve problems and explore processes that, that other leaders may have. And you, young lady, have had the wonderful experience of learning from, from one of the greatest leaders in our time, the legendary coach, John Wooden. I'd like for you to just take a moment to talk about that relationship and, and really what you learned from him over the years. Yeah. Well, you don't have enough time for that. Uh, but I'll tell you, um, it's interesting when you were just reading about the bio and stuff like that in my past, it's so um, that in how I process that when I hear those things is a direct correlation to being under his mentorship. Because honestly, he could have cared less that he won 10 national championships in 12 years. He just, it just was not his definition of success. It wasn't what he wanted to be known for in his leadership. He would always say, just remember, you're not coaching X's and O's, you're coaching young people's hearts. And I think that the better you do that, that it is, uh, people think, oh, when you only, when you care about their hearts, that means you don't care about basketball or you don't care about winning or being competitive or excellence. Um, you know, that's just further from the truth. If you really love a group of people and you're really trying to coach young people's hearts, then you want them to learn to be their best. The standards don't decrease or lower, they increase because you love them so much that you don't want to let them settle for anything less than their best and a level of excellence that you know that they're capable of creating. And so I think that, you know, even when you're saying, you know, I'm, and I'm thankful for all those things and, and I don't like just you know, pass them off, but it's just not the definition of, of my success and or failure in, in whichever case. And I've had plenty of those as well. But Coach Wooden, it always started with uh, relationships. It always started with coaching people's hearts. And whenever someone wanted to talk about who his top five players were of all time or what the best guards were, he didn't want to talk about that. What he would talk about is what a fine husband and father they ended up being, or um, a pastor of a church or a teacher that whatever they ended up doing to fulfill their passions and purpose in this world, he wanted to talk about that way more than he ever wanted to talk about championships or statistics while they were under his supervision. But anyone who knew him or watched his practices, they, they knew that, I mean, there was an attention to detail. There was a, a process of excellence that was unwavering. And, and so, you know, I don't think that um, it's just a byproduct, the success and the championships and the NBA, or in my case, uh, conference championships or NCAA tournaments, those are just a byproduct. And they're, they're really not my true purpose. You know, another, if you love leadership book, I'm sure, I bet you've read this one, but Inside Out Coaching um, by about, you're either a transformational coach or you're a transactional coach. And to right. me, Coach Wooden was the most, powerful transformational coach and he uh, he really believed that um you know through uh, transforming habits transforming teamworks building through the pyramid of success um that to this day is one of the most widely used motivational tools in business let alone in sports um that if by doing that uh the wins would take care of themselves it's it's so first of all there was a lot there right and 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 as you as you digest it all, 
it, it's amazing because as a leader, as a coach, that's, that's what I've learned. And again, I talk about these leadership books that I read and, and they all give that message in a different sort of way. Because mm -hmm. you are, like you said, you are transforming. You are dealing with hearts. You are um, taking young men and young women from one point in their lives and, and helping to, them to reach another point. And honestly, it's like you said, you forget the games. Yeah. You forget the championships. You forget those statistics, but you always remember the people. You always remember the people. And that's what we say when we recruit them. You know, mm -hmm. we about it's about relationships. But until coaches and leaders really take truth in, they don't care what you know. <laughs> they until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And 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 I you being yep. a former athlete, I think you definitely understand that. And, and well, Van, you, you, I don't mean to interrupt you. You just said something really important, I think, is that, um, you know, that what you're going to remember, the things that are truly going to stay with you. I mean, I have spent time with Coach Wooden's national championship teams through the years over and over again. And the reality is they just don't talk about those. I mean, they just right. don't. And, you know, and it's interesting. But at the same time and on a parallel path, we will be defined. We won't have jobs if we don't win games. So that is the <laughs> arena that we're in. I always say that I have to win games so I can continue to execute my mission and my right. purpose. And right. so, and that's okay. I, I, that's, that's, our, that's our arena of life. And, and that's, that's, I have, that's just part of what, part of the deal. Um, but I think that there, you hit on something that's so important. I remember this, uh, Joshua Medcalf, who worked with our, was our mental conditioning coach. And right. uh, he was with us for seven years. He was about, about 70% of um, our practices. And people think, oh, that was so good for your players. No, it wasn't. It was so good for me. He was like this truth teller that was giving me feedback on how I was. Was I really living a transformational coaching style or was I just speaking the words? And he was a great source of accountability as well as education for me. But I remember a really distinct thing. He brought our entire team out onto the floor and it was an empty uh, poly pavilion. And he looks up and he looks around and he goes, what are the only two things that are going to stay with you for the rest of your life from these four years? And right away, Jordan Canada, who just won uh, another WNBA championship, she raised her hand and said, I want a banner, baby. I want to raise a banner here. We haven't won one since 1978. And, uh, and, she, and he said, well, um, that's a great uh, standard of excellence. He never said goal, but it's a great standard of excellence and nothing wrong with pursuing that level of excellence. But the reality is banners just hang in gyms. And then uh, Kelly Hayes goes, oh my gosh, I want that ring. Give me the natty, baby. Let's go. And you know, I want the ring. And he said, hey, that's awesome. Uh, I'm sure that ring will look good on you, Kelly. Um, but rings collect dust and sit in cases. Said the only two things that will be with you for the rest of your life from these four years are who you become and who you impact. And I just really... I mean, I think it hit me even more than it hit them. Like, where am I investing my time? What is going to stay with them? You know, the average in basketball, I don't know what it is in football, but the average um, basketball player spends over 3,500 hours in their sport over four years. And only 4% of those hours are in games. 4%. 
And I think if you're going to be help them become who they want to become and impact who they're going to want to impact, you got to make sure you're intentional about the 96% more than you worry about the 4%. And Coach Wooden used to always say, if you focus on the things that are out of your control, it will adversely affect the things that are under your control. And I just always think if you're going to focus on the 4%, which is in essence out of your control in many, many ways. I mean, if there's anything COVID's taught us, it's that. But if you focus on that, it actually adversely affects your ability to uh, do the 96% really well. And so I think what you said is, you know, they don't remember those things, but they do remember who they become and they do remember the, who, uh, who they impact. And I think that's what I have to keep reminding myself as a leader because I'm competitive, I'm driven. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think there needs to be a balancing point of making sure that um, through that competitive drive, that it is, uh, it is balanced by remembering that the only things that really matter are who they become and who they impact. Uh, 100% true. And, and we'll stay, we'll stay right there because, because we're in a moment today that requires us as leaders in sport to step up and lead our young people. Like we just talked about on and off the athletic fields, really like, like never before. Mm -hmm. We've been in positions where we have to help our players deal with issues that um, a coach never had to help me deal with. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, we're part of developing the more than a dream initiative. Mm. Talk to me about what that is and, and what the goals are for the program. Well, first of all, um, like most things in our program, uh, that it's really, if it's really, really amazing and it happened in our program, it usually didn't originate with me. And this <laughs> is no different. Um, you know, I, we had some really raw conversations when the issues of racial injustice and uh, the racial tensions were very, very high and racial inequality. Um, I remember having a very raw conversation with our staff and, and the reality is I'm a white leader and, and I asked them the question, what would it look like for you to be, um, for me to love and lead you well in this context? And I remember Coach Tasha saying to me, um, I don't know exactly what it does look like, but I know what it doesn't look like. And that's you being silent. And, you know, and I, and I think there's the hard part is, is that we're in such a polarizing time where you are having to pick these, you know, sides and I'm just not willing to go there. I mean, as a woman of faith, as a white person, as um, all these different things pulling and, to have the discipline to go, it's about human hearts, it's about humanity, it's about loving people that are different than me, it's about listening more than I speak. Through that time, um, I, I, we had a real, a real raw conversation and, and Tasha and, and Shannon LaBeouf on our team, on our staff, and as well as Simeon Sperling, um, as you know, really strong black men and women that I, I, I needed to hear from them, I needed to hear their hearts and there were tears and that those conversations, there was uh, anger, righteous anger, in my opinion. Uh, there was uh, just a lot of difficulty. And then we said, okay, there is going to be a time where that it's not going to be not going to be black squares on on social media. There's not going to be everyone's not going to be talking about it all the time. And how do we um, sustain over time really making a difference in areas? How do we increase our conversations, our hard conversations, not only within our own program, but with people around us? How do we make it really when it comes down to it? How do we make a difference over a long period of time with our time? with our talent and our platform and our treasure with money. 
and we, we, we need to raise more money. What do we need to do? And so everything from catering meals from black owned businesses to conversations that we want to have to doing uh, diversity training in elementary schools of very rich white neighborhoods, you know, and trying to um, go from that angle. Um, but they decided on that. And I have a group of, uh, it was six players on our team and two staff members that started this more than a dream initiative. And they wrote the mission statement. They wrote the strategic plan. They decided on the pyramid, the pillars and the acronym that this was going to guide us. And we were going to sustain this, whether it be social media, whether it be money we need to raise, whether it be hard conversations that needed to be had. Um, it went, and part of those were with me. I mean, I needed to be willing to have my heart be taught and, and I needed them to be truth tellers in my life uh, as much as I wanted to lead them in a positive direction. So uh, I just, to be honest with you, I am just somebody, I have learned more than I have led in this arena. And we started having educational um, you know, we had webinars, we had reading assignments, we had movie nights um, where we were going to discuss some of these areas of, that, of difficulty. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a moving thing. It's not a one time, it's not a one stop shop. It's something that we're doing over a long period of time. But um, I really heeded the advice of Tasha said, I know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're going to be silent. And so, um, and if I love her well, then I'm going to live that out. Yeah, I think that um, there's a there's a podcast around and, and I think it says silence is not an option. Right. And, and when when we choose to to be honest, right, yeah. be honest with where we are. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just don't yeah. know. Right. I'm going to be honest. I don't know how that feels. Well, if you're if and I've, I've talked to our coaches, I talked to our head coach. And I say, listen, man, all you have to do is be you and all you have to, because I know your heart. And when you can be honest and transparent with our players, with others, with me, and I think that's the start. I had a coach who, who always said he, he, he was a very simple coach. He didn't say his messages were not complicated. They never went over your head. And he always said, just do right. Mm -hmm just do right you know yeah. right from wrong right you know when you feel a certain way and you being a, a woman of faith you understand when you shouldn't feel this mm -hmm. feeling. that's wrong right mm -hmm. but when you're honest starting with yourself right you know what that's not right right and, and then you can have honest like you said raw conversations that's a good thing right yeah. you can have honest raw conversations and we can leave those conversations feeling better about it absolutely we came in not not walking out with with baggage we came with the conversation is to empty the bags mm -hmm. amen mm -hmm. and so what uh, was it like for you though what was it like well, for you as, as, yeah well, we we had we actually had a a student on our campus who um who said something on social media which really caused an uproar Mm -hmm. So more so than us dealing with it from from afar, you know, we had to deal with that. We had to deal with that with our players, with our student athletes, uh, because they they wanted that student removed, and they right. wanted to, you know, they that, that they were hurt by his operation, and and so uh, we had to deal with that. But uh, our approach and and my approach in leading many of the discussions was 
to on, on both sides, our young African-American student athletes, student athletes of color, our white student athletes. Listen, what we want to be in sports is we want to be the example for our society because in our, in sports, you have a young man from Florida, you have a young man from Georgia, you have a white kid from Kansas, you have a black kid from another place. And here we are, we're all here together. We're all struggling through, we're all celebrating the victories, we're all away from families, we're all relying on one another. And so if we can do it, right, then, then it can be done in our society. And so I think our role as coaches, as leaders is because there's a lot of energy in the, the young men and women that we coach. They have a lot of energy, they have a lot of passion for things, maybe more passion than we had when we were their ages. Agreed. And they are ready to attack. They are ready to fight. They are ready to stand up. I think it's our role to direct them, to yeah. give them give them the right tools to be able to convey the proper message, to be able to, like you said earlier, to sustain, right? Because this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. To change people's hearts is a marathon. And so it's not going to happen no. like that. And so we have to do the best we can to yeah. them. Coach Shannon on my staff made a great comment to them. She asked them, uh, do you want to be, um, do you want to express your anger more or do you want to um, impact and change more? And you have to, you, you know, sometimes you can't have both. And so you have to decide what are going to be your highest priorities. And if, is it, if it's more important to, um, to have conversation, to be a bridge builder, uh, to create change uh, and to impact environments that maybe come from a different perspective, then you're not going to be able to lead with your feelings and your anger. And it doesn't mean that's fair. That's not fair. None of this is fair, right? right. Uh, and right. so, um, but what is going to be our highest value? Um, if our highest value is going to be impact and change, and uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes that means that we're going to, it doesn't always mean that way. Sometimes, uh, you know, that passion, we need those people to have that passion that we didn't have because they're, they're probably have a better chance to be the change agents. And that's so right. I want to I fuel that. Uh, in, in a really effective manner. And so that's, that's going to be the, the challenging pieces. And so, you know, and I think as leaders, it's hard for us in college athletics. At the same time, all of this is happening. We're going to be in our biggest budget crises in years. We're going to be having donors that we're going to, that, you know, it's going to, there's a lot of pressure. There's not only the pressure of loving your players well through a very, very tense time of COVID, racial injustice, all of those things. But then you've got probably our highest fundraising, uh, you know, responsibilities and what we need to do with a diverse group of donors that may or may not agree with you. And right. how do you, how do you build through that process? And, uh, and how do we as coaches maintain we, that we have our values, you know? So there's a lot of things and, oh, by the way, you better win too, you know? So <laughs> uh, all of those things, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of working through. And I think that, you know, I think that's the real challenge of leadership, right? Is to sort right. of make, um, you know, make that sort of distinction about what our highest values are going to be. And if we make good decisions in that and role model that, and sometimes that might be, you know, being willing to stand with our student athletes and lose a donor that isn't maybe as, um, you know, that doesn't um, ascribe to those same values that 
uh, we got to be willing to do that. And I'm not going to lie. That's sometimes a wrestling point um, in all of the things I'm juggling as a leader. Um, but it, I, it's okay to have the tension. It's okay to have the wrestling, but it's not okay to not, as you said, just do right. So speak of, speaking of these challenges, uh, in my role here at Kansas State as the assistant head coach, I get a, I get a unique opportunity. I get the opportunity to, to see Coach Kleiman make these tough decisions, wrestle with these tough decisions, and it gets to be, I, I get to learn from it. Uh, and I've, I've had, actually, I've had a great uh, learning experience, especially during all the issues that we just talked about. Uh, and, and I know you, as, uh, as a head coach, you deal with these challenges as well daily. Well, over the course of your career, you've had to hire assistant coaches. You've spoken about some of the coaches on your staff, and it sounds like you have a great relationship with them. But as you've had to make these choices, these hiring choices, how do you decide who will be the best fit for your teams? Well, it's a great point. I think it starts with clarity of vision first because it, uh, it's clarity of vision. What's the mission and vision and the values of the program? Um, and then secondly, it's self-awareness to know what are my strengths and how do I hire to my weaknesses? So, you know, first they got to, I got to find people that are in alignment. We do things a little differently. Uh, as we say, we have an uncommon vision and, and we are, uh, it's sort of stolen from another football guy, uh, Tony Dungy, that we want to be an un uncommon transformational program that uh, teaches, mentors, and equips young women for life beyond UCLA. And, you know, and not everyone's going to be on board with how we do things. And so finding people that are number one in alignment. And then number two, um, for me, is it's about, um, well, and the tr trust is such a huge part of that. And I do believe this is maybe the most important question as a head coach or a CEO or a leader of, even a leader of your family is having awareness of how you all fit together to be greater uh, together than you would be individually. But that's what you want, right? Just like you want on your team to be greater together and linked together than they could ever perform individually. The same thing with our staff, right? They have a synergistic group that has alignment. Um, but I also, in order to create that kind of staff that uh, really complements each other and knows how to enhance the environment and knows how they're going to be the add to the organization. Um, you have to have awareness of yourself of what your own weaknesses are. So I'm a vision person. Uh, I'm um, definitely a, I'm going to see where we are. I'm going to be foundational. I'm an ideas girl. Uh, I'm not as good with logistics or execution. So I need people that are extremely organized, that, um, that I have a lot of trust to delegate to, that have a high attention to detail. I had two people before this podcast calling me, hey, you okay? You got the link? You okay with the, you know, like, and I'm okay with that because they're just looking out for me. They're making me better. And so, um, and I'm not saying it's not important for leaders to grow in their weaknesses, but I do think it's, you have to be very intentional when you're hiring your staffs that um, in addition to alignment, that you are building a team, just like not everyone's going to play the position, uh, same position on your football team. Not everyone's going to play the same role on our basketball team, but we are all so, so important um, that I really have been very strategic and about uh, leading to my strengths and staffing to my weaknesses. And, uh, and then it's, 
I have to be a servant leader of them. So I can make the greatest hires in the world, but if I am taking more than I'm giving uh, to that group of people, I'm probably not gonna get that mission-minded synergistic group that I just referred to. And so I think it's so important that, you know, it doesn't really doesn't matter if I mop in the floors or if I know, you know, who's having situations at family. We always say that we do life together here. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, quite frankly. Um, but the reality is, is that uh, it is my job to serve and to pour out first and to give all the credit to them because they are so instrumental uh, and, and to take my greatest pride and identity uh, in serving them. You know, that coach, my simple coach, another thing that he always said is, he said, if you hear things over and over again from different people who have no connection with one another, those things that you're hearing, they're the right things. Mm -hmm. and, and so when you talk about servant leadership, 100% believe in that. Because, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I, I take it even further I talk about our players, the fact that, listen, my job is to make you the best player that you can be. Your job is to make me the best coach that I can be. It's because I'm coaching you that I get better, that I discover how I can help you. You have to help me to be able to help you. Then when we talk about the coaches, it's my job to make Coach Kleiman the best head coach he can be. It's my job to make sure that I do everything that I can to support him. And I would say that he feels the same way for me. And when right. you have that dynamic, you have something special. You have the reason we have athletics. You right. We have sport. Uh, and, and I, again, I want to compliment you on the way you support your coaches and your staff. Uh, because, you know, I've been around a lot of coaches. And, and, and a lot of coaches on social media, it's about me. It's about me. I'm recruiting. I'm the center of attention. It's about me. I've seen so many instances where that's not you. Mm, you, thank you. You compliment coaches on drills. You compliment staff members on programs and things that, they, that they've done. I think it's so important that the people who follow you, they know that they have your support, right? So here's my question. How would your staff, your coaches, how would they describe your leadership style? And has it changed over the years? Mm -hmm. I hope so. Because um, I hope that just like I expect our players to add to their toolbox every year and to grow in their roles every year, that's what I expect from myself as a leader as well. You know, I hope um, that they would describe me as um, someone who is relationship driven and that I cared about them as uh, people first, not my staff first, and as staff members and basketball coaches and colleagues second. Um, I hope that they would say that I uh, lead with clarity of vision and that I'm principled centered and it's not based on my feelings or how well we did that day or how worse, how, you know, how bad we did that day. I, I remember Coach Wooden saying that his greatest compliment his wife ever gave him when she was alive was that she could never tell if they had a good practice or bad practice, good game or bad game by the time he got home from work. I mean, that's amazing in my mind. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And so uh, I don't think I'm quite as, as uh, evolved yet in that area. I'm still a work in progress in that. But 
I hope that they would feel that they were valued as humans first and that, uh, I, and that also that my desire is that they would never feel like I put myself ahead of the mission of the program in any way, shape or form. And so, uh, you know, I think we're all, Coach Shannon said something that maybe was our biggest compliment. She told uh, someone who was interviewing for a job for us, said, if you don't have a servant's heart here, you will stick out like a sore thumb. And I think that's the biggest compliment I can give our culture is that we just truly are here to serve each other. So I hope that they would say that I, uh, I, that happens in me first before it happens through me second. Mm -hmm. Great. So I know you get this question often and, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, but with the emotional strain that, you know, that the pandemic and all the protocols that have come along with it, that have given us all, right? How has being a leader during these moments yeah. made you feel feel like you've become a better head coach overall? Yeah, you know, I, what do we tell? I think so much of this is exposing in us and leaders how we have to live the lessons we say to our athletes, right? Um, you know, in the pressurized moments, you got to know that you're built for it, that you've paid the price, the work done in the dark always gets revealed in the light and all these things that we say um, to our athletes. And, and I think that, you know, the reality is I, I go back to the example, I actually shared this example with our executive board of our business uh, with ASUCLA, which is a, a business arm of our university. And I shared with their executive board today about just the three things that have kept me going through COVID. But one of the things I talked about was I had to flip adversity on its head. Um, and I had to make a choice to do that. It's not because I wanted to, it's not because I felt like it, but I realized that um, that was gonna be the big separator, right? The adversity is coming. It's not if, it's a matter of when and what the form will be for you. And so, you know, I think back to a colleague of ours, another coach, a men's basketball coach from the University of Virginia, uh, you know, Tony Bennett, you know, he was the first coach uh, to, or first basketball coach to be the overall number one seed in the NCAA tournament three years ago and lose to the, in essence, the number 68 seed. And then fast forward 12 months later, he wins the national championship. And when asked about that, what he said was that if you are willing to handle adversity well and correctly, it can buy you a ticket to a place you would never have been able to go otherwise. I don't want to miss how I, what adversity can teach me as a leader right now. I don't want to miss that ticket that I could buy that could take me to a place that maybe I wouldn't have been able to go otherwise. You know, I ask this question all the time when I'm recruiting. I ask young people, I said, tell me the time um, in your life that you are most proud of your growth. You're most proud of a choice you made. And every time, it's always about this adverse situation that they made the choice to conquer or overcome or find a way around. And what I do is I turn to their parents and say, see, so when they struggle, when they come to UCLA, don't, don't panic. This is when the good stuff happens. We got to lean into the adversity because it can buy us a ticket to a place that we would never have been able to go otherwise. And so one of the biggest things in this pandemic is, um, you know, I think about how gold and, and uh, silver are, are purified in order to be able to sell. And the process in both arenas is, is you put all of them in this huge vat and you heat it up 
And when you, when it really heats up, it brings your junk, the junk to the top and then they scrape it off and then they heat it up again. They come up. And the interesting thing about it that I didn't know till recently was it never is completely pure. It's like, just like us as leaders, we're never going to ever arrive. We're never going to reach this, you know, perfection, but the process of leaning into when we get heated up and our stuff, our junk gets exposed and being willing to lean into that, deal with it, allow the truth tellers in our lives to say, hey, this is, this is a blind spot here. You got to deal with this. Or, hey, this is really hard. And just like when a really hard thing comes up for our student athletes, we ask them to lean into it, that pressure is a privilege and that we're going to, this is when the good stuff happens. This is when you really grow. Well, same as a leader, right? Um, I don't want to miss out on... Um, my, I don't want to miss what is getting exposed as I get heated up. We're all getting heated up. Our junk is all going to come up to the top. And will I have the courage to scrape mine off the top and relentlessly be learning from the environment, even as uncomfortable as it is? And don't get me wrong. I've had days where I wanted to curl up and watch Netflix all day and pretend it never happened. You know, I've had my overwhelming days, but you know, I think that that's always goes back to commitments, right? Um, one of my staff members says your, your commitments, not your feelings will determine your destiny. And so I want myself as a leader that I want my principles. I want my commitments. I want my convictions to guide, even when in the midst of all of this, my feelings are like enough is enough, you know, and I'm not saying you discount your feelings. The feelings are real. You call it, you know, it's truth, but I'm not going to let them dictate my next step. And so I think those are just really, I mean, that's just, I, I've sort of had three rally cries during this time, but I think flipping adversity on its head, and that's been probably my leading one that I've spent the most time with, because I don't want to miss out on the innovation that might come from it. The chance to, you know, I think about our lives, and you've mentioned your coach, right? And I think back to who are the adults in my life that have been most impactful? And it's been the ones that have entered in with me in my toughest of days. It's been the ones who have gotten in the trenches when I've struggled the most. Well, I'm going to get a chance to do that right now. I'm getting a chance to get in the trenches with my student athletes when they are struggling the most. How great is that? I say I want to impact hearts. Well, I don't want to miss the chance to do that right now. 100%. I, I think as, you, as you're talking, again, a lot to unpack, to digest. But as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, we had a discussion as coaches and you know, just kind of joking around, really, and talking about what what have we gained from this moment, this moment of COVID? Well, you remember during the shutdown, for us as a football team, we couldn't meet with our players. We had to meet with them on Zoom. Well, we have coaches, not just our staff, and I'm not, definitely not going to call out any names on our staff, but we have coaches who can't even turn the computer on, and now here this coach is. He's, he's running a Zoom meeting. He's sharing his screen. He's doing voiceovers. And so what that did is that, that, that he grew as a coach, you know, and there, there has been terrible tragedy that has come from this pandemic, but there's also been a lot of growth. There's also been opportunities for our players to, to go into their places, their private spaces, and make decisions, make commitments to determine, you know what, who am I going to be? Who am I when no one is watching, right? Because there's been a lot of moments where no one's watching. And so right. it's been a great opportunity for growth. And 
one of the things that we say is you say commitments over feelings. We say standards. Once you once you map out your standards, they are what they are. And it doesn't matter what you feel like today. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what's going on. The standard is the standard. The mission is the mission. Right. And you're locked in, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, great points there. I know, and this is my last question. I know that you are about developing other leaders in this place, this moment that you live in. What advice would you give to a young assistant just getting started in the coaching who one day aspires to be a head coach? Mm. Well, I was, I had the wonderful privilege of being an assistant coach for 18 years and, and I wouldn't trade that time for anything. And, um, I, I think, um, be the, be the head coach of your area. I, I tell all of our players, um, or, or excuse me, all of our staff members that I expect you to be a top 10 level head coach in your area and be responsible and hold yourself to that level. So I don't care if you're a manager listening to this and you want to be a head coach someday or whether you're an assistant coach or whether you're a ops or how, wh whatever your role is, be like, you know, as you said, know the standards and be responsible for that standard in your area and lead as if you're the head coach. And maybe you have nobody that reports to you, or maybe you have several, but um, walk in that space with that kind of perspective will be the first thing. I think you have to be faithful with the little things before you're trusted with a lot of a bigger things. And, you know, and I, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm just I, so many people and I, I really, you know, we're so interested in climbing the ladder, right? And getting that new title and that new role. And I, I remember I had the, another wonderful privilege when I was an assistant at UCLA, obviously co being mentored by Coach Wooden was the number one. But another thing that I got to do is um, two great coaches, uh, Lorenzo Romar and uh, Mark Gottfried. And Lorenzo's now the coach at Pepperdine. And Mark Gottfried's actually the coach at, uh, at Northridge. But they were assistant coaches on the men's staff. And they lived near me. And we had a long commute. And I told them, we, all, we actually all went to the same church. And I asked them if I could ride to work with them. And if I would babysit their kids for free, if they would let me ride to work with them. And so I did, I babysat, they had five kids between the two of them at the time. And I would come and give them the night out to go to dinner with their wives or whatever, as long as they would let me to uh, go to work. And I still, to this day, I remember something that they were talking about. They were in the front seats and I was in the back seat. And um, they talked about, um, they were talking about making sure that you don't climb the ladder and you don't get to the top of your ladder and remember, and, and remember that your ladder is standing against the wrong wall. And I think it's just so important that if you're wanting to be a head coach and you want to climb the ladder and there's nothing wrong with that, it starts with making sure that your ladder is standing against the correct wall. And so I think it's just um, like, who are you going to be about? And I think integrity is so much integrity, loyalty, work ethic, trust. Um, those things will take you such a long way. And I think those are just character traits, constantly being work on your character as a human being. And that will elevate you in ways that you would never have been able to otherwise. Secondly, um, you know, do whatever it takes to master your craft. So, you know, for me, like just putting myself in situations where I can just listen to wise people. Uh, it didn't matter what phase of life. And 
and just trying to do that um, and have wisdom surrounding you. I would also say, um, how do you sort of serve your neighbors? Uh, you know, you, I always say you got to love your neighbor. And even if you don't like your neighbor, well, what does that look like in your role? And if you, if you're the organization is different because you're there because you've served your neighbor in any way, shape or form. And really your feelings about them are inconsequential. We don't really care. It's just a matter of this is the principle that we have. If you want to become a servant leader, serve your neighbor right now, whether you like them or not. And I think that that's, uh, and your neighbor, what I mean in, in the context of athletics is just whoever's around you. It might be the ticket person. It might be the janitorial staff. It might be whoever it is, uh, you know, figure out how to love and serve your neighbor. And as you do that, you will have more and more people that are in your corner. You're not doing it for that reason, but it definitely is a byproduct of that. So I'll, leave, I'll let you, what's one story, because it really comes down to this is, um, you know, Elena Beard was a uh, two-time defensive player of the year in the WNBA. She played at Duke, played at Final Fours, won conference championships, won two WNBA championships. And, uh, you know, she told a story to my team one time that was really impactful for me. And it's very, it, she made a very um, complex thing come down to a very simple decision. She tells a story that she's in game five and the you know WNBA finals, they're at Minnesota, sold out crowd, and she walks out onto the court and she asks herself two questions. She says, have I done everything under my control to master my craft? And have I done everything under my control to be an elite teammate? And she could look herself in the mirror and she could say, yes, I have. I've done everything under my control and I've done everything I can do to be an elite teammate. Go play in freedom and surrender the results. And, and it was amazing. And then she said, it was awesome. They won, everything was really good, but she knew no matter what the result, she could perform at her best in freedom and she could surrender the results if she knew she took care of those first two things, doing everything under your control to master your craft and to be an elite teammate. Fast forward to the next year, 12 months later, game five again, same thing at Minnesota, sold out crowd. And she asks herself that same thing. And bottom line, she answers yes again. She goes out and plays. They end up losing that time. And she said, did it sting? Of course it did. It was, uh, she, I'm a competitor, but I could be at peace because I had done those two things over and over again. And I can do that. And I think it applies to being a head coach is that you may not be under your control. You can win some, you could get a job, you could lose a job, but in the end, you're gonna be the best leader version of yourself if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, ah, I've done everything under my control to master my craft and to be an elite teammate or an elite colleague. And then you gotta surrender that, you know, I waited a long time. I thought I'd be a head coach earlier, but you know what? If I can just focus on mastering my craft and being an elite teammate, um, then eventually I'll surrender the result and I'll have peace and it will happen when it's supposed to happen. I'll tell you what, first thing is this, there it's, it, it should be no surprise as to why your teams are successful. And it should be no surprise uh, as to why your staff and, and your players uh, have a great experience on your teams. Mm. I, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm really honored. And like I said, when I, when I researched and checked out your social media, just to figure out who I'd be talking to, I was, I was extremely excited 
uh, feel extremely honored. But now after spending just a little bit of time with you, um, I, I'm, I'm even more uh, impressed. I'm even more honored. And, uh, you know, in, in my life, I, I have very little time to watch anything, to follow anything, but I'm going to be following the Lady Bruins. Well, thank you. And it's truly oh, my honor. It is probably my second greatest passion is just to uh, spend time with other leaders. We're in this together. We're trying to use sport to impact lives. And, uh, and so for me to be around another transformational leader and transformational coach, uh, it makes sharpens me, it makes me better. And I get inspired by your heart to continue to grow sports and to grow leadership and to grow impacting young people. So thank you for having me. It's, it's truly my honor. Thank you. You have a great night. And again, I'll be pulling for you. If it weren't for COVID, I'd be sitting on the front row yelling uh, and, and not knowing, of course, football and basketball a little bit different. I'd That's be okay. saying, tackler, tackler. <laughs> hey, I'm right with you. I'm going to be following you guys. And, uh, and I wish you the very best. Stay safe, most importantly. Uh, and, and keep pouring into people the way you are. It's, uh, it, it encourages me. So I'll, I'll be your biggest fan. As I say, I'll be hanging over your balcony going, come on, I yeah, believe in you. you. And so thank I'll you. be following. So thank you so much. And, and I appreciate your support.